Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Morning, everyone. We are on uh, a few week series. Well, we've started started January through Philippians, but we're just slowing down chapter four to pick up a few big things because he talks. Paul's in his letter talks about some big things today. He's talking about feeling anxious. So uh, I know a lot of us are going through lots of different things in life. So I do pray uh, in just a moment that God will speak to us in those moments. Let's pray together. Dear Father God, we just thank you that we can come before you to draw near to you, to look at you, to know you better. And Lord, you know us, you know our hearts, you know what we're working through in life and we do pray that you would speak to us this morning as we come here expectantly, as we draw near and through your word that your spirit will speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. When you need a lift in life, what do you do? need to pick me up. Uh, you might pull out one of those gifts you got at Christmas time from Curon, one of those posters. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it, rejoice. Yeah, suck it up. You know, I should be rejoicing, not feeling da- down or bad about myself. It's from Philippians chapter 4, the part we just had read. Or you might pull out the other coffee mug you got for Christmas. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can defeat all my enemies. I can do anything. I just need to get on and do it. Again, it's from Philippians, the passage, uh, a little bit further down from where we just read that it flows on to. Now, when you pull out those things, you start to go, if you're like me, well, that doesn't really address what I'm going through in my life because I am worried. I am stressed. Whether it's financial pressures that are pushing in, whether it's work stress, it's overloading, whether it's conflict. We talked about conflict last week. Conflict all around us seems to be just surrounding us like enemies. It's easy to feel anxious, overwhelmed by this worry, this stress, to be feeling anxious about it. Or you can pull out the other poster you've got. Do not be anxious about anything. There it is. It's in our text. Just do it. What are you anxious about? But deep down, it's still there. It start, if you're like me, it starts to make you wonder, am I just weak that I don't get this? Am I less of a Christian? You know, I'm not like those other Christians, those super Christians who've got it all together and don't have the, the life and the worries or the anxiety that I've got. Am I missing out? Am I less of a Christian? How do I get these things? How do I experience it? How do I go on that journey that these verses are talking about? Because they're in the Bible. Paul's writing it to a church in Philippi. You know, it's 2,000 years ago, but it's real people just like us. You can have these things, but how? Because often I'm not experiencing it. I feel anxious. Let's go on this journey through these verses about what Paul has to say to fill in some of these gaps. And the first thing uh, that he goes on to say is to say, feeling anxious is real, and so is the peace of God. 
We pick it up in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. So he's actually acknowledging feeling anxious is a real feeling. Now, it should make the distinction here. Feeling anxious that Paul is talking about is different to uh, if we're suffering from like a mental health uh, anxiety. I think it's quite different. You will find there's some overlap in what we're talking about, but Paul's not talking about if you suffer from anxiety as a medical condition. It's feeling anxious, being overwhelmed by the world because of worry. It's putting you down. Actually, when you look through the Bible and how it talks about anxious, there's a great uh, verse back in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament where it des- describes a group of people. They, they're anxious in their minds. Their eyes are weary with longing and their despairing heart. To me, that's a great dis- uh, description of feeling anxious about things. It engages the whole body, doesn't it? It's not just a head thing. In the head, I'm anxious, I'm worried. But also my eyes are weary, longing for an answer. I'm looking for an answer everywhere. I just get tired of looking because it doesn't seem to be an answer on the horizon. And I have a, a despairing heart. I'm losing hope. I've just got no answers, got no solution, no end to it all. That's how God describes it for people who are far from him in Deuteronomy. But even when we see this word anxious, we shouldn't be thinking, oh, does that mean I'm not a Christian? Does that mean if I'm feeling anxious, is that a sin? Because actually Paul, at the start of his letter to Philippians, says this, and he's talking about his friend Epaphroditus, who was uh, from the church, the Philippian church, and he'd come to help Paul. And Paul's saying, Epaphroditus nearly died. And Paul says, I'm all the more eager to send him back to the Philippians so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Paul's saying, I was really worried when he nearly died on me. And I was really worried for you because if he died, I'd have to break the news to you guys that your friend who you love has died helping me while Paul was in prison. He couldn't help. So even Paul was experiencing this kind of worry, anxiety. So it's a real thing. We've got to, I suppose, get over that thing of going, oh no, I shouldn't, do, I shouldn't have this feeling or suppress it because I'm a Christian and do not be anxious means I'm not a Christian if I don't do it. No, no, it's, it's actually a real feeling. And Paul's not making light of it either when he says, do not be anxious about anything. Because Paul's in prison in Rome. This is a real letter written in the first century. And when you're a prisoner in a Roman prison, you're in chains. It's not like a three, three meals a day and going to your exercise yard so many hours a day. It's a, No, no, you're in prison. You will only eat if other people come and bring you food. You'll only get a change of clothes if other people bring you a change of clothes. You'll only survive the cold if people bring you warm clothes. You're dependent. You are helpless. You're in the hands of others. And particularly for Paul, first century Roman Empire, it was the Romans who killed Jesus. They're not a big fan of Christians. And yet Paul's future is in the hands of these Romans. Has he got anything to be anxious about? He potentially has lots of things to be anxious about. And for the Philippians, they're living in a time, Rome in the first century, where Christianity is not a popular thing, where they're facing persecution. If you say, I no longer follow the Roman gods, I follow Jesus as my one and only God, 
You could lose your job. You can be banned from trading in the marketplace or buying or selling food. Like, there's serious persecution for following Jesus. There's lots of things in their time to be anxious about. Yet Paul's coming up this, do not be anxious about anything. It's real. The other thing to notice, that Paul's not making light of it, it's real, but he's not saying, oh, you should replace your anxiety with the solution. Just get rid of your problems and you'll all be better. You know, if you've got money problems, you know, that, that pressure of financial problems, you can't get ahead. And yet, you know, Lotto just gave away $200 million. Maybe that's the solution that I move into there and that'll get rid of all my problems. Yet there's lots of stories about Lotto winners who actually say, I wish I didn't win it. It's not the end of your problems. Or your job. Maybe my job is the thing causing me to feel anxious. If I just change jobs, well, it might be part of the solution, but there'll be something else that's going to push into you and make you feel anxious. What if you don't like being not popular? And if you say you follow Jesus, you're actually losing friends or you're feeling persecution in your circles. Maybe if I give up Jesus, I'll be more popular and have the easier life. And Paul says that that's the start of your problems. That's not going to fix your anxiety. It's not getting rid of other things to fix your anxiety. It's not about living a trouble-free life. It's living an anxious-free life in a troubled world. This is what Paul's saying. He's not saying, get out of Rome. But he is saying, it's possible to have an anxious-free life. So anxiety is real. But then he also shows us the peace of God it's real too. You're not going to remove yourself from the world, but in the world, in the trouble, you can find the peace of God. It comes down to verse 7, and he talks about it like this, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This peace of God is bigger than your feeling of anxiety or feeling anxious. It's bigger and it's interesting, he, the use of the words, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. Now, if you were writing this, what do you think would be a, a better way of saying it or, a, or what you want him to say? The peace of God will empower your hearts and minds to overcome the problem. The peace of God will give you strength and courage to overcome the anxiety. But he says the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Interesting choice of words. And it comes back to a picture. So it's first century Roman Empire. If you hear these, this phrase in the Greek as it was written, uh, you think something is going to guard you. It was a common term that they used to describe the Roman army. So if you're in a village and your village is coming under attack, because back in the first century, everybody's fighting over territory and resources. If you look outside your window and see in the hills around your village is the enemy lining up. They're, they've come to take your village, plunder it for themselves. How are you feeling? You are feeling anxious, because you're, you're not safe. They've come to get you and your stuff. But what the Roman army was known for is to protect their people. So the Roman army would come along, march up the road, surround your town. They would encircle your town. 
and protect you. They would guard you. So when you're thinking, what is going to guard me? That's a funny term. For them, they're thinking, oh, like the Roman army. And this is why it was so important to be a Roman citizen in the first century. You had the biggest army in the world. That if you saw the enemy and you're feeling unsafe and you're panicking and feeling anxious, when you saw that army come in and circle around you, they were guarding you. You could lower the stress. I'm okay. I'm going to be fine. This is what Paul, the language Paul's using is, the, is like the Roman army uh, giving you peace. You will have peace from God. And this is peace is, the only, is only found in what God offers. Paul says it tr- transcends all understanding. So I know, right? Paul's in jail. And yet he says, God is surrounding me. God is protecting me. God is keeping me safe. And it's interesting that he used. Keeps my heart and my mind safe in Christ Jesus. And like we talked about before, feeling anxious is not just a head thing. It's not just a heart thing. It's, it, it consumes all of us, isn't it? But Paul's saying, no, no. The peace of God will protect your heart, will guard your heart and your mind. You are safe in God. The other thing that Paul says, just to flesh out this, what is this peace of God look like, is if we jump down to verse 12. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. See, this idea of the peace and God uh, overcoming our feeling anxiety, also the feeling of contentment also overcomes our feeling of anxiety. And Paul says, there's, there's something in this. There's something in this that you can be relieved of your worries. Paul's in jail. The Philippians are facing persecution. But he says, you can find the peace of God. You can find contentment. Whatever situation you're in, it's not about living a trouble-free life. But it's living an anxious-free life in a troubled world. That's what he's talking about. You might notice there's two things that jump out of there. The secret of being content. What's the secret about? It's not a secret like, uh, don't tell anyone secret. It's a secret like, it's not common knowledge. People don't understand or they don't believe it. It's not something that the scientists and philosophers of the world are just going, yeah, this works. We've done the experiment. It's here. No, no. It's this transcends all understanding thing. And Paul says, I've learned it. I've learned this secret, the secret of being content. It's not about once you become a Christian, all your troubles go away. For Paul, he's in jail. For us, we've experienced it too. We'd love to say become a Christian, your life will be easy. But it doesn't work out like that at all. It's not about living a trouble-free life. It's being anxious-free in a troubled life. But what is the secret to finding this this peace of God? How do we learn it? Where do we get it? It's what Paul goes on to. The secret to finding peace. And he's going to pull up two things. That is to thank and to think. The first thing is, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving... Present your request to God. See, often we pray when we're in trouble. 
when we feel like, man, I'm, I need God now, come and rescue me. We haven't talked to him for weeks. Because sometimes we feel like it's when we are in trouble, God is far away from us. But actually what Paul has just said in the previous verse, in verse 5, is the Lord is near. God is always near. Whether you have plenty or whether you have nothing, God is still God. He's the same God and he's always near you. The question is, are you going to face him? Are you going to turn to him? Paul's saying, turn to him. He's not appealing to you or inviting you to. He's telling you to. Turn to God. And he's saying this um, in, in a way that he is near. And you need to turn to him. It's like if you're in that village, the Roman village, and you see the enemy gathering around you to, to, to plunder what you've got, to maybe take your life, you're feeling that anxiety. You don't say to the Roman army, oh, don't worry, we've got this. Or you don't say to the Roman army, nothing. <laughs> Just hope they turn up or hope it works out. No, no. You're sending a message. Sorry, I did a phone signal. <laughs> you don't phone the Roman army. You send a message, pigeon or whatever, to the Romans. We're surrounded. We need help. Come on in. That's what Paul is saying. You need to invite God in through prayer, petition, pre present your request to God. But the key word there is thanksgiving. There's something grounding there for us. It's not a magic twist. If I say some thankful words, God will be on my side. No, no, there's an attitude to being thankful to God even when we pray. Now, it's uh, hard to describe. It's easier to show you. So at the start of this letter, Paul writes a prayer for the Philippians. Uh, it's worth just spending a couple of minutes on seeing how this prayer works out because we can see it in action. See, as he starts, he's thankful for the past. So chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's thankful for the past. He's also thankful for the future. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's praying for something that hasn't happened yet. But he's so confident, he can be thankful for it. He also prays for his situation, being in chains. He says from verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way of all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel all of you sharing God's grace with me. I can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He's praying, praying for his situation in chains, but his love for them, but he's also giving his requests to God. Go straight on. And this is my prayer, that, you that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ and to the glory and praise of God. You can see it, how he prays, a thankfulness, thankfulness for the past, thankfulness for the future. Even in his own situation, he's not complaining. There's a, there's a tone of thankfulness. But even in his request for the God, 
still grow, still grow them. See, there's a sense of being thankful in our prayers, whether we're petitioning God with, hey, help me. It's thanksgiving, present your request to God. You've got this, I know you have. If you're in that village, first century Roman Empire, you look out and you see this, the enemies surrounding the hills, ready to come in for you, and you see the Roman, Roman army marching up the road, they're surrounding your, uh, surrounding your village to guard your village. Do you say, hey, thanks for coming? As they march in, you want to encourage them, right? Thanks for coming. Or are you so confident that they're going to guard you and keep you safe, you can say, thanks for saving us. They haven't done anything yet. The enemy's still there. But you are so confident in that army that you can say, thanks for saving us. Even seeing their arrival has fixed the problem. Paul says you can be that confident in God. Even in the middle of your trouble, even in the middle of your anxiety, you can be thankful. Thanks for fixing this, even though you're still in that same situation. Because God has heard your prayer. He has come to guard you, to guard your heart and your mind. So we need to be thankful. The other thing Paul says is we need to think. We need to think about things. He goes on in verse 9. He says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I know sometimes I feel a bit anxious when I go to get a blood test. I really, really hate needles. I have to deep breathe and do certain processes. And I learned quickly from the nurses who are very patient with me, it's partly because I hate needles and partly I have terrible veins. So it takes them three or four goes normally to do it. So I need, they ask, are you okay with needles? I go, no. They go, okay, I want you to close your eyes and think about the last holiday you had. I can do that. I'm thinking about the beach. I'm thinking about the sunshine. I'm reading a book on the beach. And you know, the good times have just slowing down. And I wish I was there. And before I know it, needle's done and I can move on. So I've thought about all these nice things and it's taken me to another place. That is not what Paul's talking about here. See, for Paul, he's just written a letter. And we've just jumped to the end, the last chapter. But all the way through it, he's been talking about how good our God is the grace that he's poured out upon us. Our God is so awesome that he sent Jesus to us, all the work that Jesus did in dying for us to give us new life, that we are new citizens. God has done this amazing work in us. And now he gets to the end of the letter and says, oh, but when you're under pressure, think about your nice holiday. He's not saying that. This is in the context of think about all the things I've just explained to you about God. What do you know about God? Think about those things. So when he says, whatever is true, what is true about God that you know? What is God's character? How noble is he? How right is God? How pure is God? How lovely is God? What is admirable about God? If anything is excellent or praiseworthy about God, think about these things. Dwell on them. Meditate on them. Do that. So when we start putting that into practice, when we start 
getting into our Bible, which is the Word of God, when we start getting into listening to sermons or podcasts or listening to Christian music to help us reflect on God's character, when we read biographies or listen to people's testimonies and stories, or even amongst us, we hear stories about how the Holy Spirit's been working in people's lives today. It's all pointing us back to the character of God. It's not about, yay, I'm on the right team. It's like, how good is my God? How good is that God created a world for you? Not just the, the blue skies, the rain. The hum- we might not like the humidity, but the place has never been greener. The flowers have never been brighter. How awesome is, is it what God has given us? The families around us, the people around us, our friends around us, the promises God has made, even through Scripture. When the whole world is a mess, God calls a particular people out to be his people that he'll never forsake, but he's going to call them his family, his children, that he's going to have that kind of relationship with them. That even as us, through Jesus, being called his children, being in his family, he shows his faithfulness to us, not just through the promises that he uh, said early on in Scripture, but he's faithful to us in our lives now. We don't act like good kids. We upset him. We don't listen to him. We disrespect God with a lot of things we do. But yet God doesn't let us go. He is faithful to us. Instead of pushing us away that we're not good enough, he pours out his love on us, that he chases us and pursues us through Jesus, that Jesus came into our world, into our mess. As children who deserve to be disciplined, and the discipline that comes from a holy God is crushing. The discipline for our rebellion against God leads to death. But yet God sends his own son out of love for you and me. God sends his own son to die the death that we deserve. That's love, that he would take that for me, to give me life. And the power that he displays through it. He doesn't just do things like walk on water or even divide water, divide the Red Sea for Israel. But he seeks out the hurt. He heals them. He even raises from the dead. Even death is not more powerful than God. God has displayed power over all things. God has promised heaven and eternity. It's there waiting for us. So we can be thankful for that. Something that hasn't happened yet. We've never experienced it. But we know for certain it's there. We know for certain Jesus is returning. We can be thankful for that as well. If we look at those things, we realise God's plan is way bigger than I realised. It's not just me in the here and now. It's a bigger plan. It's when we look at those things, dwell on these things, think about these things. Sometimes we need to train our brain to not get distracted by other things. But getting into the Word, whether it's music, whether it's podcasts, whether it's uh, reading about other guys or in our conversations, growth groups that we just talked about this morning, is good for us. There's never a point where you go, I've learnt it all, I don't need that anymore. No, no, we always need to be pointed back to be thinking about those things. Since when you see how strong God is, the worry, the feeling anxious, it's not so threatening. 
Let's go back to the first century village in Rome, surrounded by the enemy. You can see the enemy in the surrounding hills that have come to plunder what you've got and to possibly kill you. You can see them. They're scary guys. First century warfare, there's lots of blood. It's serious. But then when you see the Romans coming, they're marching up the road and they're surrounding you. They've encircled your village. When you hear those feet marching, you realise there's a lot of them. When you hear their armour clanging, man, their armour's impressive. From the helmets down to the boots, these guys got all the shields, the big shields. When you see the size of their weapons, the massive tall spears that they carried around, the big chunky swords that they carried around, when you start to hear stories, this Roman army has never lost a village yet. They've always protected, always guarded. All of a sudden, when you see your army surrounding you, the anxiety lowers. The enemy's not as scary because you can see what you've got. This is what Paul is saying. Take a look at God. See the character of God. Dwell on the things that God has got. That's what you need to be looking at. There's a great story in the Old Testament. It comes from 2 Kings chapter 6, the story of Elisha and his servant. Elisha was a prophet. And what he used to do is he used to get messages from God. So there was a, an, the enemy king, had an enemy army, and they wanted to take over Israel. So when he would come up with a plan, the enemy king would go, okay, let's, let's uh, send our army up the river or follow the river line and there we'll attack the Israelites. God would tell Elisha, hey, today they're going to come up the river. Elisha would tell the king, the Israelite king, the king would organise his army to meet them at the river and fend them off. Next day they're coming through the hill country. God would tell Elisha, Elisha would tell the king, the king would stop their army moving in. The, the enemy king was getting really ticked off with this. How do they know? How do they know? Every time we go to attack, they know. And the guys in the army says, oh, they've got a man of God, a prophet, Elisha. If you want to deal with that, you need to take him out. Yes, let's do it. Let's send the whole army to kill one man, Elisha. So tomorrow, he sends his whole army in surrounds uh, his village that he's in uh, early in the morning. His servant gets up to make Elisha a cup of tea, gets up, you know, it's very early in the morning. He looks out the window and what does he see? He says, uh, in scripture, he says, uh, a large army of horses and chariots. It's like, this is not just a few hitmen. This is a large army. Men with horses and chariots. They're serious. What do you think the servant is thinking at that point in time? Oh man, we are in lots of trouble. He actually says, Oh my Lord, to, to Elijah, we, this is it. We are done. The stuff you were saying, you probably shouldn't have said if we want to survive, but you've said it now, and now this army's here to take us out. We are going down. You can imagine. The anxiety, just skyrocketing. So he gets Elisha out of bed and going, we are cooked, we're done. Look out the window. So Elisha looks out the window and what does he say? He says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You can imagine the servant having another look. 
Because what's he seeing? Just the enemy. There's no one with them. He's just seen the enemy, seen chariots, lots of chariots, lots of horses. We are still... He's like, Elisha, what are you talking about? So Elisha prays. This is a question. If you were Elisha, what would you pray? That the Israelite army would come in and rescue you? That God would somehow take you out of the situation of trouble and stress? But he prays for his servant. He prays, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. Then he opened his eyes and the servant looked out the window and it says, he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around. He could see God had come to the rescue. Chariots of fire, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but it sounds scary. But he could see then that God was with them. God was surrounded, not with the Israelite army, but God himself had sent his army. But he had to, but he had to see it. He had to see God at that moment to see the army, to be relieved. He was feeling anxious, but then feeling peace. That army would come in, the chariots of fire would come in and capture the, the enemy and take them away. I think it's just a great, encouraging story that sometimes we need to see God, to see his full character, to put the enemy in perspective. It's not as scary as our big God. That we dwell on those things. What is true about God, whatever is noble about God, right about God, whatever is God's purity, whatever is lovely about God, whatever is admirable about God, it's looking to our God that will bring us peace, find the peace of God. Now, there is a bit of same but different, isn't it, with the Romans or with Elisha, that it's the same in that um, we need to see who's on our side. But actually, the results in those stories are quite physical. That uh, if we cling to them too much, we're expecting God's army, we're expecting chariots of fire to come in and fix up all our physical problems, which doesn't always happen. I don't know about you, I haven't seen too many chariots of fire when I look around me. Maybe I'm missing something, but Paul doesn't matter. I think Paul's in jail and he doesn't say, it's all good, Philippians, I've got chariots of fire around me. He's not saying that either. So I don't think we should expect to see chariots of fire ready to cut down our enemies. But there is something spiritual about this. Spiritually, God is with us. God is near us. God is guarding our hearts and our minds. That's a truth. That's our God, that he can do it. So it's the same but different. So he's not a trouble-free life, but an anxious to be anxious-free in a troubled life. It's not the physical, but the spiritual. God is there, and he's not going to let us down. This is what Paul calls the secret. Dwell on God. In thankfulness, come to him. Think about his goodness. But it's one thing to have peace in the moment. It's another thing to keep it. Because Paul's going to just wrap it up with a couple of, couple of words that he says in verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Put it into practice, he says. 
And it's near the start of the football season. You know the footballers are already training for the big games. They can't expect to rock up to the game and have it all together and just win. They need to practice to develop the muscle memory to be good on the game day. Doctors in surgery, surgeons, need to practice. They don't just go in for this big life-saving operation hoping everything will be right. No, they practice. They develop muscle memory in their hands. They know what they're doing. For Paul, do you think once he found himself in chains in jail, he's going to start thinking about God? Probably too late. He'd be hitting panic button if he knows he's going to die in prison. But Paul's indicated here, no, no, in good times and bad, he says, you've seen it, you've, what you've seen from me, received from me, heard from me, put it into practice. I've been doing this all the time, every day I look to God, what he's like. Every day I come to him in thankfulness. Every day I remind myself what is right about God, what is righteous about God, why I can trust him. Every day I do it. So whether in good or in bad, I know I can trust him. This is not just the secret, but it's keeping this piece of God. Put it into practice. Now, I know it might feel, well, that's not particularly spiritual. Sounds a bit mechanical that we have to do this stuff to train our brains and train our hearts that we have to do it. But Paul, this is what Paul's talking about down in verse 11 and 12. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is like to be in need, I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He says, I've had to learn this stuff. Even for Paul, who saw Jesus, who experienced the Holy Spirit in a very dramatic way. He says, I had to learn this stuff, how to trust God, to rely on him in thankfulness and thinking about him all the time. What hope have I got if Paul has to learn it? I have to learn it too. I have to practice it in the good times and the bad. Not just when I'm pushing the button, I need help, God. But even when things are good, to know God is good. God is good. Because it's, we're all going through stuff. And it's a lot. We might be praying for a trouble-free life. Help me get out of this problem. There's nothing wrong with that. But if our measure of God is on how happy we are or how good a life we're having, you got the wrong measurement. It's living the anxious free life in a troubled world because that's the world we live in. There'll be always something. I know, there's a lot of people here I don't know that well. And I know there's a lot of people going through a lot of stuff. There's some people going through some very serious cancer treatment that is, that's discouraging. People going through health issues with immune systems. There's a lot of people going through financial stress, that it's hard. People are in high-pressure work situations. There's also people in high-conflict situations. There's a lot in this room that we can feel anxious about. It's real. It's a real feeling. It's a legitimate feeling. But also, we need to know, to be drawn back to our God is near. He hasn't left us. He's near us and he promises to guard our hearts and our minds. Not to, it's not about living a trouble-free life, but an anxious-free, to be anxious-free in a troubled life. That's what God is preparing us for. 
Let's just run back to these couple of quotes we started off with. It's not the posters, it's the full verses. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Why? Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. What's the key bit in that? The Lord is near. Not just any God, our Lord, the big, strong, faithful, loving Lord. He's near. What about the do all things verse further down? I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This verse is not about conquering the world, climbing a cliff with one arm. It's about getting through a troubled life because it's not me and my strength that's going to do it. I have a big God that I need to keep facing, turning back to, that is big and strong and faithful to me and I need to rely on him to guard my heart and my mind. We need to keep turning back to him. I'm going to pray now for each of us, whatever we're wrestling with, that God might open our eyes like he did to Elisha's servant, that we might see how he surrounds us and guards us. Let's pray. Dear Father God, just thank you for this great image of being safe, that you guard us, you surround us from our enemies. Lord, no matter what it is, Lord, we present before you those in our congregation with serious, serious health issues. Lord, it grieves us that people are hurting physically and their time on this earth is just so, so uncomfortable. Lord, we want to present them before you. But Lord, help help them to see you, that you are a great God. You're faithful to your plans. Lord, help those are in stressful situations, whether it's work, whether it's finances, and it's a distraction from our faith. It's hard to keep coming back week after week after week. Lord, help us see, help us see you, that you have a bigger plan for us, that you are there to protect our hearts and minds, and this won't take us down. Lord, help us who are in conflict, that Everywhere we look, there's trouble around us. Lord, help us see you and the comfort you bring. That we find peace, that we find contentment through you and not put our hopes in those other things that can so quickly turn against us. Help us see you, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.